Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. The longest Serie A season is over, almost a year since it kicked off in August of 2019. We're going to wrap up this exciting year with our TFA Serie A team. I'm your host, Daniele Prok, and I'm joined by football analyst Steve Coleman from Wellington, New Zealand, where it's just 7 a.m. Buongiorno, Steve. Yeah, morning, Danny. How are you going? And then pretty good. And I'm also joined by professor at UNC Chapel and EPL podcast host Chris Manford. How are you, Chris? Good. Bon pomeriggio. <laughs> well, um, since this past weekend's game were decisive for relegation, why don't we start uh, with a recap, uh, beginning with uh, the two decisive games that Genoa and Lecce played. So uh, I'm talking about the, the Genoa-Verona and Lecce-Parma games. Lecce was occupying the highest of the three relegation spots with uh, Il Grifone standing one point above them before kickoff. Genoa did their job, beating Verona 3-0 at home thanks to a brace by Antonio Sanabria and a goal by Christian Romero, while Lecce lost at home 4-3 in a game that saw Isalentini conceding goals again way too easily. They have the worst defense in the league with 85 goals conceded. You know, as I was watching the game, I heard the commentator saying, Lecce found a team who's defending nearly as bad as they do. And uh, Steve, I bet that uh, that did not surprise you because you had alerted us of Lecce's defensive shakiness back in June, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I think they they are the, the team who can see the most shots from the, from the shortest distance in the league, which, as I said way back before we started on the relegation stuff, that that was always going to hurt them. And I, I think... The, you know, they scored three goals in the final day and, and still got beat, which is a testament to how, to how poor they've been um, on the, in and around the edge of their box so far this season. Um, you know, over 80 goals conceded, um, just over two per game. And that's the, the game against Palmer's a clear indicator of that. Yeah, it is hard to uh, not relegate when you have that shaky of a defence. So Spal, Brescia and Lecce will play Serie B football next year and they are going to make room for uh, Benevento, the team coached by Super Pippo and Zaghi, Crotone and the winner of the Serie B playoffs, which will be played later this week. Um, as we work our way up the table, uh, I would like to bring up any honorable mentions in terms of players or teams that did well and why not maybe coaches. I will start with uh, uh, Udinese keeper Juan Musso, who had the most clean sheets during this Serie A season with 14. Chris, how do you like Musso? I think he's great. You know, I think he is a, uh, a gem. Uh, I'll be very curious to see if Udinese can hold on to him. Uh, you know, as far as uh, it, the difference in expected goals, you know, he was... Uh, expected to have 46 uh, scored on him and the expected, I'm sorry, he had 46 scored on him and he was expected to have 51. So those six goals right where Udinese is placed is real difference maker. So uh, clearly one of the top five keepers in the league this year. Yeah. And uh, Musso is Argentine, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking with Musso, with uh, Martinez, who plays for Arsenal, and with Armani, who plays for River, I'm thinking, uh, has manager Lionel Scaloni solved the problems of uh, Argentine goalkeepers, which was something that, you know, the Argentine national team always struggle with? What do you guys think? Well, I, I think that the truth is, is that there has been an Argentine goalkeeper revolution going on. Uh, it's just taken a little bit of time for them to mature. Um, and really get into their own. Uh, goalkeepers generally require a few more years of seasoning um, before they hit their prime, kind of late, late 20s or even early 30s. And uh, I think that there was a gap there um, with the Argentine uh, national team. But, you know, folks like Estudiantes is very, very well known. They've got a strong track record for sending uh, Argentine keepers over to Europe. And Serie A is usually one of the first places to start, along with uh, La Liga. But Serie A in particular has been on a many, many year um, relationship between those two countries. And I expect that to continue. I, I see the revolution happening, and I'm glad to see uh, Argentina is, is leading that part of the goalkeeper revolution. I certainly agree. 
I also would like to spend a couple of words on uh, a player, a very young player who stood out this season for Parma. That's Dejan Kuleseski. He joined the shortlist of under 21 players with 10 goals this Serie A season. Not only 10 goals, he also recorded eight assists playing as a right winger for Parma. We know that he is a Juventus player and uh, will likely join the Bianconeri during the next Serie A season. Steve, how do you see him play with, uh, with Dybala and Ronaldo in, Sarri's next, um, in, Sarri, in, in Juventus' next year with Sarri? Well, I think he, he fits in a little bit like Douglas Costa, maybe, or, or Bernadeschi on that, on that side. Um, obviously, you're not going to shift those other two big, big guns out of that side. So I think he probably slides, in, slides into that side. The long-term future of, of the other two is probably up for debate. So a young guy, and they need to regenerate. So he's a he's a, a good example of someone who can come in and fill fill some spaces for sure. Yeah, and another striker who did very well this season was uh, um, Sassuolo's forward Francesco Caputo. Twenty one goals for him. I think he's worth a mention. Uh, this was his second Serie A season because he had been in Serie A a few years ago, but really didn't record a lot of appearances. Uh, this year, 36 appearances, 21 goals, only two penalty kicks. He was key for Sassuolo. And uh, you know what? Let me also say something about the coach of Sassuolo, Roberto De Zerbi. Steve, how, how champagne football was, uh, did he play <laughs> with, with the Nero Verdi? Yeah, I think they've, I think they've been a, a real entertaining side to watch so far this season. I, to be fair, looking at the table and the, and the X points, uh, I think they've ended up exactly where they're, they're meant to have ended up. Um, you know, an eighth place finish for that side is a is a good starting point for for a future um, with with a with a good, attractive style of football that, that they've played. I think they've they've come unstuck a little bit. You know, they got beat by Udinese on the on the last match day, which is probably a sign of sign of their their league position in terms of the the motivation. But before that, they've had you know great draws with with Juventus and Atalanta, and and they've played some real attractive football and some attacking. Attacking threats that they have uh, certainly going to benefit from a, an extra season in the league come next season for sure. Yeah, they certainly have a lot of quality up there with uh, Boga, with Juricic, Berardi, and uh, Caputo himself. You know, mm. uh, whether I expected, uh, you, I did expect Sampdoria, Torino, Cagliari, those teams to save themselves. If there, if there was a team that I was not expected to see that high up the table, was uh, was Verona. The way they played this year was uh, was incredible. They ended the season with 49 points. Uh, at some point in June, they were also uh, trying to make a run for a Europa League spot. But um, obviously, Napoli and Milan were, were going too fast for them. Steve, what are the main tactical trends uh, that you <clears throat> saw in, in Verona that helped them you know, finish the season strongly? This, uh, I, I know, um, I know. Chris will give me a bit of stick for this, but they're they're obviously one of the promoted sides into the league. Um, last season, they came up via the, the Serie B playoffs. So, um, the fact that they finished ninth in the league and, and the other two promoted sides, um, Brescia and Lecce, have have gone down is is a testament to how how well they've done. Really, um, one little one little stat for you is they've conceded one point two six goals per game. That record is the same as third place Atalanta. And it's only bettered by those teams that are in the top four at the moment, which I think is incredible, um, incredible stat and a, and a real kind of underpinning um, part to why they are so high in the league. Uh, so not only are they are they very vertical in the way they play, they like to get the ball forwards quickly, but with purpose rather than being a, a long ball side. They they play with good purpose into the into the top line, but they defend so well around the edge of their box. And if you compare them to so Lecce, like we spoke about earlier, you know their ability to to defend wide areas compared to someone like Lecce, who you know let many crosses and, and many opportunities into their box when they don't get enough pressure on the ball, uh, especially in wide areas, is is a real constant for them. And and I think they can that they, they've they can be proud, but with their stability and and sustainability in Serie A, whether they can continue that uh, moving forwards and keep hold of the players they've got. Uh, is is um, up for debate, but I think they can be very pleased with, with where they ended up, for sure. Yeah, big credit to the manager, Juric, who was able to put together mm. a team that was not only solid defensively, but uh, like you said, it was very entertaining to watch. I especially liked how they used the flanks 
and uh, mm. um, the two trequartists in the half space. So we'll see if Verona will be able to uh, do as well for the, for the next season. Let's move to the top seven teams, beginning with Napoli, who arguably disappointed a little bit this season. I would say they saved faces with the Coppa Italia win. Um, you know, they had some pro problems in the season. Gattuso um, took the team over from, uh, from Ancelotti. That was uh, a big sack because it's never easy to sack such a, a legendary coach like Ancelotti. Um, Steve, what do you think of Napoli? Uh, do you agree that they, they really didn't perform up to their potential this season? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. They obviously had a bit of a turbulent start to it with, with the changeover in manager. Um, I, I think if you watch their last game against Lazio, I thought they were, they were excellent. Uh, great value in a game that didn't really mean a lot. Obviously, Lazio have struggled a little bit uh, since the restart, uh, depth-wise. But I, I think what you get with Napoli is what you get every week. You know, that they're so creative. They're so busy in what, in what they do. Gattuso's got them playing um, a real nice uh, way. They continue the, the high pressure and, and, the, and the kind of dominating the ball, the ball and without the ball as well, which, which is a, a real testament to, to the way he's come in and, and, and done that. Uh, and they've got some fantastic attacking players who have, who have finished in the top ends of, of, categories around around the league in ball possession you know you've got um Mario Rui uh, left back who's been who's been fantastic and it leads the leads the league in in passes completed and, and um, per game and then you know you've got the the guy with the same almost the same name in midfield who's you know just so so dominant with the ball that that he moves them forward um you know he's got a great goal at the weekend um you know, off the back of ironically that high pressure, which is what they do so well, um, and you know they're they're a real they're a real um, opportunity to to finish higher next season. But I think that they can be happy where they are right now. They obviously the Coppa Italia win gets them into Europe, regardless of whether they finish fifth or seventh. It, it didn't really matter to them. Uh, but I think every week they're becoming more and more Gattuso's team, and I think they're gonna they're gonna be up there challenging. You know, for in next season, which is going to be a really competitive league next season, I think. Yeah. yeah. So, sorry, go ahead, Chris. My, my my take on it is is that you know they 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 finished twenty one points below Juve. That's a long, long, long time away. Um, and their payroll is is one hundred and three million euros, which is one third of Juventus. But you know, m most of the teams are around between one hundred and one hundred and forty. So I think it's fair to say they underperformed um, considerably. That being said, their finish, or we'll call it the COVID season, they did really well, right? They, they really stuck it out. And, and, and one has to hope that, as, as you mentioned, Steve, that getting that, ex, that strong finish gets them optimistic for next season, which, oh, by the way, is only a few weeks away, right? They get two weeks off of holiday, and all of a sudden they got to show back up to work again. It is. Well, I'll, ca I'll counter you on that, Chris, because <laughs> I, as, as you guys well know, uh, I've been quite uh, vehement in the banging the Juventus and Napoli drum, and, and Juventus are basically Napoli without Ronaldo. So, at, in the wash up of the finish of the season, Napoli's X, X points, uh, 65, they ended on 62, but Juventus. X point was 66. So mm -hmm. there's a point between them according to the to the X point table, but obviously Juventus finished with 83. So I'm I'm pretty convinced according to those stats that the Ronaldo and I'm sure Chris is going to mention the goalkeeper as well, but you know Ronaldo factor there. Napoli have guys to put the ball in the goal, but it's but it's more spread across a group as opposed to one focal point um, in their well, side and I think that's that's let's a big work factor. Her We'll work our way up to Juve. I'm excited about okay. uh, digging down into that more, but carry on. You know, Steve, um, uh, I think you said it right, that Napoli could be Juventus without Ronaldo because even though the work of Gattuso is evident, you know, you mentioned the ball possession is the mm -hmm. best in the league. They make a lot mm -hmm. of, they complete a lot of passes, but they clearly had problems with finishing their chances um, mm -hmm. in the final third. That's why... Um, the top scorer for Napoli is Milik. He only has 11 goals, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So I think the next year, in order to um, 
you know, challenge Juventus for the title they have to really improve their uh, game when it comes to uh, finishing chances. That's why they, they bought uh, Ossiman. Uh, so mm. th- that could be the Nigerian striker. That could be the, the game changer. By the way, let me mm. spend a word for uh, Jose Cayon, who uh, leaves Napoli after seven years. He recorded 255 caps out of 266 available matches. That means he, that he barely was injured or suspended in seven years. And, uh, you know, the Cayohorn run, the classic burst look, waiting for the pass from Insigne, who cuts in from the left side, will surely be remembered by the, by the Napoli fans. But let's move up to the table. And the sixth position, we have AC Milan, who did particularly well since the restart because, as Steve can confirm, they are first in the post-COVID table. Yeah, they are indeed. Um, they, they ended up with uh, nine wins from 12 games with three draws. Didn't get beat since the, since the restart um, for a total of 30 points, which, you know, for a team that were kind of hanging hanging to see whether they could make a make a um Europa League spot and there was a few teams around them that could have also jumped in there. They've they've done amazing, uh, amazing work purely since since the restart. And I think they've been really bright, really, really good to watch, enjoyable. Uh, certainly not going to get back to the the early two thousands um anytime soon, but they're they're heading in the right direction, that's for sure. And uh, about AC Milan, uh, obviously, we are going to end up talking about Zlatan Ibrahimovic. At, 30 year, at 38 years old and 10 months, he is the oldest player to reach 10 goals in a single Serie A season. Um, if there's another player that I'd like to mention, that's Hakan Chalanoglu, who struggled in the past years at AC Milan. But this year, it really seems to um, have found a way to make a difference he scored uh, uh, nine goals, recorded eight assists, and uh, I think he will be uh, the focal point for Milan next year, the perfect number 10 for, for Pioli. Uh, there is another guy who uh, is going to leave uh, his team. That's Giacomo Bonaventura. After six years at AC Milan, he said farewell. He was in tears after, after the game. He was alone, you know, sitting in the, in the middle of the pitch at San Siro. Uh, it was quite of a quite of a sad image, um, but what else am I missing about uh, AC Milan, Chris? Anything well, to add I, about the keeper? I'd actually like to ask Steve. I mean, what's is Latan? Should he be invited back? And I imagine he's asking for a two or three year deal at thirty eight years old. And oh yeah, the agent is also Donnarumma's agent, so there's a package. So. Uh, anything with Zlatan seems to be complicated. And Donnarumma's but, brother, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what? How, how how do you unpack that, Steve? What what's going to happen here? What should happen, and what's going to happen? Well, if I was in Pioli's shoes, I would I would try and tie him in for another season. Um, I think it's quite clear right now that he's he's perhaps not the t- the side uh, the player that Milan. Um, want, but he's the player that Milan need, uh, to coin a Batman phrase. Um, I think he makes the players around him better. You know, Danielle has just mentioned Chaganoglu there. Yeah, I think he makes him better. I think he, I think he acts as a fo- focal point. Um, in in future, I, I believe you're going to get uh, Rafael Liao kind of leading the line and, and coming into um, becoming more prevalent in, in that side. And there's a real growing depth in that Milan squad right now where, where Pioli's given opportunities to, to players. And even when they've struggled with, um, you know, injury and suspension as they have done recently and they've brought extra, extra players in, I don't think there's been a huge drop off in, in what you've seen from them. So, but I think he, I think he's a, another year I, would be, would be my observation there. Um, I think Danielli said not long ago that they they average more points with him in the side than than without him, and I, and I think that's been quite clear since the restart. The way he's come in and played, not every minute, but he's played the vast majority of, of the games and and been a real presence within those games. I think you have to have to bring him for one more season until you know guys like Liao and and, no, and those fellas are able to to kind of do it on their own. Yeah, until things take off, I agree. And in terms of making the players around him better. I was reading something on the web and uh, I haven't fact-checked that, so please don't attribute this statement <laughs> to me. But 
uh, I was reading that when Ibrahimovic for, uh, came to AC Milan, uh, he went up to Samu Castillejo and he told him, listen, you're not good. And since then, Castillejo performed very well. I mean, even this past weekend, he scored and he's, uh, he's been like a, a very good offensive threat for AC Milan. But, you know, that's, I can see how his presence is intimidating, how players around him are, are encouraged to do better because, um, because they see Zlatan and they kind of don't want to let him down in a way. Mm-hmm. They want to gain his approval and uh, that, that makes the entire team better. Um, you know, Pioli himself benefited a lot from uh, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Pioli extended his contract until 2022. So we'll see if uh, he will be able to take AC Milan back to the Champions League spot, which is what the, the fans are expecting to see. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the, the, Pioli, the, Pioli, <laughs> the, the, the Pioli thing is, is interesting. You know, signing a new deal for, for an extended period of time is, is a good sign for Milan fans because it gives them potential sustainability. But it's going to be hard for them to keep everyone around, I think, you know, without being funny. Guys like Hernandez should be playing Champions League football. You know, he's such a, such a threat down that left-hand side. He's so dynamic and, and they'll be... They'll be Without without being funny, big clubs. Sorry, Danielli, to um, <laughs> should be should be tapping on his tapping on his shoulder uh, to come and play in the Champions League. You know, uh, and and that's going to be the challenge for Milan. You know, they've got Europa League football next year, which will be which will be great. But they've got a small window of opportunity here to really kick on uh, if they if they can, and if they don't, then I think you're going to find them back to where they they started from quickly. But let me drive drive one point home. Is Zlatan worth signing a two-year contract with? Because I'm, I'm nearly certain that's what he's asking, two or three year. One year is a no-brainer. But where he is in his career, I'm sure he'd like to get two years out of this. Is he worth do it? You know, do, do you know, I'd, you know, he'd be 40, wouldn't he? I mean, yeah. there's multiple examples, especially in Serie A, of players playing until they're 40. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, would, I would sign him for two. If if that's what it was taking at the moment, um, you, you know you can always move him on. There's no there's no issue. Um, but I think at the same time he ha- he has to understand that he's going to have a potentially a reduced role as he as he moves on. And if he's happy to do that, then it sounds like he's a good man in the dressing room. And he, as I said, he makes players better around him. So for me, it's it's a pretty simple yes. Yeah. I don't know if I would do it, Chris, because at that age, if you pick up an injury, it takes so long to recover um i know that technically it's not human right that's at least what he says on social media but uh lions don't recover like humans quoting him quoting zatan ibrahimovic but um i don't know two years is 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 a long time he'll he'll be 40 yeah but the dress the dressing room the dressing room is the important place you know the pitch is obviously where he does the work in the in the spotlight, but I'm sure he does a lot of work in the dressing room with the players and and for that young group or vast majority of those young players that are coming through, he, I think he's a Buffon type figure that that is important off the pitch as as well as on it. I I I want to chime in. I I think you sign him for two years uh, with an option for a third to keep him around because, (laughs) and I'm not saying that that third has to be exercised, but you know, that's what he's asking for because here's the bottom line. AC Milan cannot, they don't have the money to go out and and buy a comparable striker in, in COVID you got to go with what you have. Right. And I just feel like they need to lock him down because he is a freak. There's no question about that. And he probably could play to 40 and, all I know is you see the fear in the defenders and how he pulls, pulls that back line out of shape so many times to open up things for everybody else. And I really think that, gosh, if they had him before January, you know, they had some key losses in, in, in November and December. Maybe things could have changed there, right? Maybe they could have vi- vied for a Champions League spot if he came in. Of course, he would not have been the the legend that he was in LA if that had happened. But um, mm. still, my other question to y'all is Donnarumma. What do you sign? Do you extend with him or, or not? I think, I think you keep him for the same reason you just mentioned about Ibrahimovic there. Who do you yeah. get comparably that's, that's as good, if not better than, than him right now in the current climate. Yeah. 
How about you, Daniele? What do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. He he has to stay, and uh, I think right now he's also happy. Versus a couple of years ago, he was there were some rumors of him being unhappy with the team. Um, you have to keep him. He's going. He was arguably top three goalkeepers this season, um, together with uh, Chesney, uh, Strakosh, at least for the for the pre uh, COVID period. But uh, yeah, you have to keep Donnarumma. And for Zlatan, let's settle on this. Two years with a section that says that if he gets injured, his contract will get, uh, will get cut in half, okay? <laughs> hey, as, as a player, Daniele, you should never accept that sort of deal. But um, <laughs> uh, I, I will tell you, Donnarumma, he was uh, XG, he was supposed to have 37 goals scored on him. He had 37 goals scored on him. So he is basically par and and by that metric he finishes in the top 50 within the big five goalkeepers in all yeah. the in all the leagues but so he's the, he's the most ex- experienced keeper in the league or at least he will soon be because at 21 years old he has, <laughs> he has almost 200 appearances so i i agree but you're not do gonna you wanna, get anyone like him and you want to pay do you want to pay that money for basically a, a replacement level goalkeeper i just yeah feel like you know he he's a great name the name is the name but the truth is is that from a performance perspective you know he's he he does good he does what he's supposed to do that's that's a good thing you know you could go worse but it seems like you're paying a lot for that you need to trim that daniel he was he was positive about donorama there you need to trim that and keep that for later you may you need you may need to play pay for Zlatan in his fortieth year, you know. Yeah. All right, let's move up to the fifth position in the table. Roma securing Europa League football next year. Roma was quite a quite of an interesting team this year because they had some very good performances as well as some uh, disappointing losses, I would say. How would how would you break down a team like Roma, Steve, during this year? I think they've gone quietly about their work uh, under the radar. Uh, they've actually picked up 25 points since the restart. Eight wins, one draw, but the three losses, I think, probably stand out for their their one-sidedness. You know, we spoke a little while back about, about their performance against against Napoli and they were they almost changed to, to deal with Napoli's threats rather than, than doing their own thing. And I think... Fonseca is a is a shrewd tactician, and I think you can in, expect them to improve. Again, they're they're quite a young side, aren't they? So I think they've they've got another year's experience in them now. Um, but they do need to improve in certain areas. Their, their back their back line, their back three, or their back four, whichever they've employed so far this year, needs some improvement. You know, Smalling isn't a isn't a long term thing for them. I think they need to need to improve it in that area of the pitch. Um, and if they can do that, then expect to see them around the same spot next year. But I, I can't see them at the moment jumping any higher than where they where they are. Yeah, manager Fonseca has been sw- has been switching between you know three in the back and four in the back. But you know what? Uh, for most of the season, they could not count on a player like Nicolò Zagnolo, uh, mm. who suffered a terrible knee injury and uh, was able to come back in the for the last games. He's a difference maker, and uh, I think that the team will revolve around him next year, along with Jacko, another aging striker who makes a difference in Serie A. Mm. Um, you know who's coming to Roma next year is Pedro from Chelsea. How will it fit mm. into Italian football? Well, I think you'll find that they may change and play a lot more four at the back with with three at the top. If they're going to bring in someone like that again, he's you know. I think he's in his in his mid thirties now. You know, is he still going to have the bite and the and the forward the forward um, ability that that he's had in previous years? Probably not. Um, but like you say, they're going to they're going to build that side around the, the young fella, and and that's going to be a big difference. But he can't he won't be able to do it all on his own. He's going to need people like Jacko and Pedro around him to to carry some load for him. Um, but again, you still need a platform to be able to to be able to create and score chances and they're, they're going to have to improve in, in other areas as well. Well, I will tell you, seeing Pedro play against Arsenal this last weekend, it seems like he's still got a little bite and he's got, mm. he's got some uh, intensity to him. That was a pleasant surprise. Um, I do think that folks that have played in the EPL 
that moved to City A um, do have a bit of a resurgence. But what I'm really worried about with Roma is, you know, they gave up 51 goals, and that's uh, that's just too big of a number for them to be serious contenders. And I mm -hmm. just don't know what's what they're going to be doing to address that. And I'm just generally curious, Steve, the Roma style of play in general, the American ownership structure and things like that, how is, has that fared well in City A or, or, or not? Yeah, I, I think, would you say, would you say Roma are a path where they should be probably right now? Yeah. They're, they're, the ownership structure and the way they do things, you know, it's not something I'm, I'm a, I'm an expert in, so I'll have to mm -hmm. defer to you on that one. But the, from a style of play perspective, I, I think they're they're one of the more interesting teams because, like I said, Fonseca's pretty shrewd around managing the side around what they're going to come up against. So they're not necessarily a, a, a Napoli style or Atalanta style where they don't change for anyone. I think I think he's he's morphed them into more of a we'll do what we can based on who we're playing against. We'll still have our own principles and the way we try and build from the back and, and use use the ball um, in in certain areas. But but I think he's also very tactically astute. And that's why he's been so successful as a manager before he came into, into Serie A. But moving forwards, that if he wants to create a, a team where it's very much possession style and it's and it's this is this is what we want to do and create a, a template for the future then I'll go back to it he has to improve certain areas you know you mentioned about the goals conceded you know they let 51 goals in this year but their their xG against was 50.7 so they're bang on the money you know they didn't do any better or any worse than they than they should have done um, and when you compare that around the teams above them they considered the most goals yeah. Um, so swallow, yeah. so swallow down in eighth. You know, we've already spoken about how, how much their attacking intent um, got them to where they to where they got to. But you know, fifty-one goals is is a lot of goals to concede. Yeah. Um, and and that's going to be a big factor moving forward. Well, I'm really struck. I mean, Lopez is is a, a top five keeper. I mean, you look at at the metrics within City A, so that's not the problem so much. But it, it's a case. It just strikes me as this case of offensitis. Uh, no offense to Daniele, but teams like to spend money on on strikers mm -hmm. and and people that can score goals, like the Pedros of the world. And the truth is, they need to they need to firm up that 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 back line or or sort out some better team defense or all of the above. Um, but the good news is, I think they've got a keeper where they can kind of check that off the list and kind of focus on the other areas. Yeah, and Roma has produced. Uh, or at least um, has had good keepers in the last in the last few years. You guys remember how Allison had his uh, breakthrough season at Roma before joining Liverpool uh, a few years ago. Uh, by the way, Roma's season is not over yet as they will play Sevilla this Thursday, August 6th in Europa League. So we'll see if uh, Fonseca will be able to bring uh, a trophy to the capital. Let's move up to the fourth position, Lazio will play again Champions League football after 10 years. And uh, I have to begin with Ciro Immobile. Ciro Immobile equalized the record for uh, uh, most uh, Serie A goals in a, um, most goals in a, in a single Serie A season with 36. You guys want to know something romantic about it? He scored his 36th goal in the same goal that Gonzalo Higuain scored his 36 goals when he... Um, recorded that you know when he had that incredible season in 2015-16 and uh, when he scored uh, 36 goals as well um, it was his third Serie A golden boot he won it in 2013-14 uh, and 2017-18 and you also, you also know that he won the the golden shoe you know he beat the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, Lewandowski in Europe and this is the first time since 2006-2007 that uh, the golden shoe has not been won by a La Liga player. How about that? Yeah, penalties, penalties help, don't they? They do, but you know what? Winners at the end of the day are winners. They, uh, <laughs> they are right. 14 out of 15 uh, penalty kicks transferred from Immobile, so he had 22 goals uh, on, uh, you know, happening during a normal, uh, normal action. Uh, you know, uh, Steve, uh, in five years, nobody is going to bring up the penalties. Everybody's going to say, oh, you know what? Immobile has 36 goals and that's 
Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But I think the the scary factor for them is he scored nearly 50% of their goals this year. So they scored 79. He got 36 of them. You know, I'm I'm a little bit concerned for them that, that one guy is carrying so much of the, the load. It's very Juventus-like in that. And I think you've seen in the you know, post-lockdown how how much they rely on him. And when he when he fires and he scores, then they then they do well. But when when he doesn't, or you know they, they struggle, it's it's generally down to the fact that he hasn't been able to influence so much of the game. Um, and I think they need to they need to grow their depth. I think they've got a good eleven um, to begin games. If he was picking his strongest eleven tomorrow, I, I think they they would be they would be a challenger again. But it's it's a depth issue for them especially if they're going to start playing Champions League football and, and be stretched across the board week in, week out, two games a week. I, th- I think he's got some real, some real work to do in the off-season. To add to this point, um, you know what's funny is that Lazio have uh, the top scorer in the league and uh, uh, the top assist man in the league, Luis Alberto, with 15, mm. uh, finishing just one above uh, Alejandro Gomez with 14. So despite having the guy that uh, recorded the most assists and the guy that scored the most goals, Lazio only finished fourth. So this, mm. I agree, this is an indicator that uh, Lazio need to act on this uh, transfer market window and you know increase their depth at least one player per position, I will say. Uh, Chris, are they all set with keepers? Strakosha? No question. Uh, top three keeper there. Uh, he, he was part of them being able to... to to hold the position they were. Of course, Roma was a full eight points below them. Um, Strakosha, uh, if you believe um, the expected goals, saved them four goals, which is probably worth two wins right there alone, two or, or three wins. So, you know, what what, what was a, been a little vexing is, is they were absolutely on fire pre-COVID, right? But they only managed to win four out of 10 matches uh, during the, the post-COVID uh, experience. And... They, they lost against teams they just you just flat out can't and to me that's worrisome if if you kind of line up these uh incredible incredible personal performances and you know that just kind of begs there are going to be some major um fundamental issues uh on what needs to get fixed steve what what do you think needs what are the top two or three things that need to get fixed do you think Palacio? Well, i think they need to bring in somebody to help them at the top you know the the two that they that have played regularly are are very good for them, but I think they they need somebody to to come in and take the load off. Nobody's um, not getting any younger. They could do with someone there, and I think they they rely so heavily. We've spoken about on Luis Alberto, which is which is fine, but we've seen a couple of times where he hasn't played post lockdown and how lost they they appear to be with, without him. Milinkovic Savage is is um, a good foil for him in, in that midfield too there, but they're, they're going to need a little bit more depth uh, in there. And then in the back line, I think I think they do okay there. But again, like that, Daniel said, it, it's just a case of not so much the starting team, but the, but players who can come in and and be a second choice centre back or a second choice, you know, wing back or, or or whichever whichever way he, he he feels they need to to improve. But they certainly need more depth. Um, you know, you mentioned that they've lost five games in the in the kind of post lockdown period, and that's because they play games twice a week, and they're going to do that come Champions League time as well. And and I think you're going to find them with the same problems, and they've picked up. Only 16 points since the restart, which for a team who were uh, were pushing to win win the title, you know, just a short time ago, it's just not good enough. And the the amount of games that they've played is is not going to change come Champions League time. So here's what I can't understand: they've scored three more goals than Juve did this year at 79, and they gave up one less goal than Juve, mm. and they're sitting in fourth place. And and that mm-hmm. just shows you. It's not how many goals you score or how many you keep out. It's when you score those goals and when you keep those goals out, right? So I, I just find it a real head-scratcher to me of all the leagues that I've seen, seeing a Lazio come in fourth place behind Juve, a good solid uh, five points behind. That, that's, that's luck right there, right? It's right, right time, right place sort of thing. Do you have a view on that, Daniele? 
Yeah, Chris, we're going to get to two teams, Atalanta and Inter, who scored more than Juventus and, and yet finished behind them. It's about you know game management, um, knowing when to put the game to bed when, you, when you're up. And Juventus are masters of this with all the champions they have. Um, they also get criticized a lot for doing that, but that gets them the win at the end of the day. And uh, I'm sure th they will keep doing that. Uh, speaking of teams that scored more than Juventus, Uh, how about Atalanta, 98 goals, as we talked about last time. Only Bayern Munich in Europe scored more goals with uh, 100. Uh, Atalanta are able to really bring any players to goal. We have Gozens, the wingback, finishing the season with nine goals. Ilicic, Muriel, Malinowski, uh, Papu Gomez, Zapata. All these players really, um, Pazaric as well. They combine, they move so fluently under Gasperini, who, by the way, could win the manager of the, of the year. Um, they, they move so well that uh, uh, it's, just, it's just amazing watching them. Atalanta have a, a, a big game coming up on Wednesday, August 12th in the knockout stage quarterfinals against PSG. Uh, have we already said everything about Atalanta, Chris over, um, and Steve, over the, past, over the past weeks, or is there anything left about them? I mean, third place... Is, is quite, quite, a, quite an accomplishment for a team that has such a low financial budget compared to the other teams? Well, I mean, I, I, I'm going to kind of play to the area that I pay attention most. Uh, you know, I, I, Golini has been a bit of a head scratcher for me because, uh, you know, if you look at the number of goals expected to be scored against them uh, is about um, 33-34, and he gave up 38. And two games, that's worth about two games there. And, um, you know, two games puts them uh, certainly in, uh, in second, second place and, uh, and really um, winning the whole thing. Um, I don't want to put it just on him because sometimes there's unfortunate luck and things like that. But I wouldn't mind them coming, going after a keeper to, uh, that's going to give Golini a, a run for the money. And it's like, it's like everything else where, how are they going to fix their back line? Right. How are they going to work on their defensive elements? And, you know, if you remember uh, several podcasts ago, I was really struck by the few shot frequencies that they had um, in large part because they played higher up. But when you play higher up, you are more vulnerable to counterattacks, one-on-one -on -one situations, which probably explains the Golini situation, but Maybe you need to find a better 1v1 keeper if you're going to play that sort of style. So I, I, to me, it's about uh, – it's, it's not an issue of offense now. It's, it's kind of what Liverpool was where they were at two or three years ago. The only problem is Liverpool had a hedge fund uh, owner, right, who has plenty of money. And uh, I would argue that Atalanta, in terms of points per euro spent, is probably the best – The number one or number two behind Sheffield United, and I think Sheffield United is is going to be an aberration. I don't. I mean, I think that's kind of one of those great once in a lifetime seasons. I think Atalanta is the real deal, and I'm hoping that they make a deep run in Champions so they can go and buy some defensive talent and buy a a, a, a second keeper that's going to challenge Gallini. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think the one area that they they desperately need improvement is is between the posts. I think if you if you take the league table as it as it stands, and then you change it to the X point, they win the league quite comfortably actually by by three and a half three and a half points, which mm -hmm. tells you everything you need to know about how well they've done. Um, you know they 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 make it to nearly seventy six points according to the XG, which or the X point, sorry, which is remarkable given given like Chris said their their budget and, and what they've spent and. Uh, I don't think there's a team that could have done what they've done with the budget they've got. I think they've they've cultivated players through their system so well. I think Gasparini is a coach who improves players. I think there's a lot of coaches out there that, that buy to improve. I think Gasparini's taken the, the objective to uh, coach to improve, which is a real breath of fresh air. And they know exactly what they're, they're trying to achieve. They know exactly how they're, they're trying to play. And teams know exactly how they're trying to play. And yet, They're so difficult to stop, and the goals for column is is amazing, really, when you consider 
the the depth or lack of it that they that they do have in reality that you know they rely so heavily on five or six players in those key areas but they don't have a lot necessarily underneath them and I think that in their back line he's brought players in to help them achieve what they want to do with the ball and I think sometimes to the detriment of their defensive um, structure and defensive um, solidity as as a, as a whole, you know, for example, you know, Toloi is is one of the best centre backs at uh, bringing the ball out from the back and his progressive passes into midfield. But is he the best defend defensive centre back? No, uh, but Gasparini is willing to to change that to to allow them to do what they do. And I, I think, like Chris said, I, they are very very livable like at the moment where they just need one or two to to really kick them on to the next level. And you know, the future is very bright for them. And I just hope they can sustain it and bring in one or two more in Champions League football. Hopefully, will allow them to do that move forward. Well, let me add one other thing, and then Danielle, I'd love to hear your take. I think there's about a two-year window on this team right here, right? Because of the age of their squad, right? Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of 27, 28-year-old, 29-year-olds that are making a big difference. And I think I am not a fan of team just going out and buying folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I. I I really am. I love what Liverpool is doing is just reinvesting in the players that they have extending contracts. But in this particular case, I think you go for it. Well, and, and locking down that defense and maybe you spend a little extra on a keeper, you get lucky on something, but even if they got a keeper that performed as they were expected to perform, they, mm-hmm. they win the league, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you're looking at it from the, the expected points. I'm looking at it from the expected goals against, and it all kind of mm-hmm. points in one direction. So I think they got 24 months before they have to start to, to overhaul their squad. And I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a lot of depth behind that. And I want to believe the Atalanta dream. I do. Right. But man, it's really uh, Hitafe and La Liga is in a similar position. They've got an older, older squad and they need to make something happen in the next 12 or 24 months or uh, they're resetting. Okay, Chris, I, be- I believe there is something in the, in the Atalanta training ground that really uh, takes the best out of uh, each player in that when Atalanta scout their players, they never buy big names. They buy, uh, semi-unknown players who come in and then for after a few games you realize how good they are. So uh, I do agree that they do. They need a couple of champions, you know, a couple, a couple of top players if they want to make a run in Champions League, if they want to really challenge Juventus and Inter for the title. But at the same time, I'm sure they're going to keep the same uh, mentality, the same process about recruiting very uh, specifically and then growing growing those players. Speaking of Golini, he uh, had to be subbed out for an injury against Inter. So uh, Marco Sportiello could be the keeper starting against PSG on, uh, on August 12th. Um, speaking of Inter, uh, the Nerazzurri finished second at 82 points, only one point behind Juventus, but that doesn't tell the real story because uh, Juventus clinched the titles uh, two match days ago and really slacked off after that. They they lost the the next two games. You know what's crazy? Conte finished the league in second position and still there are talks of him leaving the team. And you know who could be the next year's coach? Massimiliano Allegri. That's insane because I think that I, I understand how Conte, you know, he wears out players, but uh, Inter now has an identity playing with three in the back, uh, emphasizing the the wingers, uh, the two strikers on top are, are doing very well. With Sanchez, I'm talking about Lukaku and Martinez. With Sanchez as well, performing well with under Conte. Um, what do you what do you expect from next season, Steve? Well, Conte described their performance Napoli as wonderful, which I think is probably the only positive word he's had to say in the last two weeks. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I think that, that probably plays into the hands of people who are suggesting he's going to move on. I, I, I think he's done a fantastic job with with the team. It's the highest finish that they've had, I think, in 11 years. Um, they've kept five clean sheets out of the last six games. They inflicted Atalanta's first defeat since the 20th of January. You know, it's, it's a, an, a great game to finish the season off against Atalanta. You know, I, I thought it was a, a really 
quality game of football for for two teams who had something to play for that was pride related, but it was a it was a proper game. Um, and they've they've been great all year. Every week, like I've said before, they become more and more Conte's team with with his specific style of of the way he wants to play the game with the back three and the wing backs and you know the focal point of Lukaku at the top and. One thing I will say for him is he's very much a system and player-related coach. So there's certainly players that he improves, but he brings in his players for his system and his system doesn't function without those players. So, you know, he's been quite vocal about the club not supporting him and not bringing players in, but it's because he hasn't been able to bring in the players that he wants as opposed to what's already there. Um, And Lukaku's gone under the radar in terms of any talk about him being player of the season, but I think he's got to be in the conversation. You know, their, their game against Napoli last week where we got to see him versus Koulibaly was was box office in terms of a physical contest and, and he came out on top in that one. And it, it, yeah, he's been he's been fundamental to the way they want to play and um and the and the way they attack and and every single week he's he's been on on the kind of score sheet or, or in the game in terms of what he's been able to bring to the side and how Man United decided it was a good idea to let him go when he's in this form is extraordinary, really. And speaking of players that Conte has recruited, uh, Akraf Akimi from Borussia Dortmund, uh, right back or right wing back, uh, is set to join Inter for next year. So the right flank is definitely uh, looking good for the, for the Nerazzurri. And um, yeah, I, I agree. I think that there has to be continuity in the in this Inter team. Um, Conte, I think at the end of the day, will stay another year. Uh, and you guys may disagree, but they will be the biggest uh, title contenders also because of the the financial uh, resources that uh, Conte can count on. I can see him already in the in the room of the of the owner demanding one, two, three players uh, mm-hmm. that cost a lot of money and that. He, he wants to bring to bring to uh, to Milan to uh, to Milano. What do you guys What do you guys think about it, Chris? Any any views? Well, I mean, I think with Conte, you you know what you're going to get, uh, and you know you're you. It's the devil or the angel, you know. And uh, he has been able to take players that, quite honestly, he's he's gone back to the league that he saw a lot of, which was the English Premier League and was has been able to successfully recruit. I think that Ericsson, um, you would hope, needs a little more time to bet in uh, and really start to become a significant contributor. Uh, you, there's been some strengthening with respect to the wingers. You know, it's it'd be very interesting, you know, that you see that they had 45 goals scored against them, uh, which is a an awfully big number. Um when you consider uh, Hold on, uh, talking about Inter. 36 goals uh, scored. Yeah, against them. Uh, so defensively, they're in great shape. Offensively, they're in great shape. You got to think they're two or three pieces away. And for some reason, continuity in Milan seem to be uh, inconsistent words. They, they don't exist on yeah. either side of town. And um, I just don't know what the Inter – ownership's going to want to do with COVID realizing that they may not be able to sell any tickets uh, for the foreseeable future. So it may end up, and, and I hope that Conte is reasonable enough to know that sometimes the dog won't hunt and you got to get, you got to work with what you have. And frankly, I see Juve going to have to fight really hard to stay where they are. And Inter seems to be on the ascension. Um, so yeah, I, I I actually feel really good about Inter next year. I, I I would I would tab them to be the favorites for for Serie A next year. Chris, you said it. Yeah. Inter very solid defensively. Thirty six goals against best defense in the league. Also, they have uh, the fewest uh, amount of losses. Only four games lost this year. But guess what? The champions are still Juventus. Uh, guys, what have we not said yet about the the Scudetto champions? <laughs> I think I think they um, I think they've been uninspiring <laughs> as a That's as it. a headline. I think they the last two games that they've played since they won the league title. Now everyone everyone has a, a drop off in 
in kind of standards when when things are things are achieved. Obviously, we saw that a little bit with Liverpool, but they still have Champions League football to play, and there's two games two games to to get things in order before before they travel um, to to play in those games, and they've got beaten both games, and they've got beaten beaten by one team, especially Calgary, who didn't really have anything to play for. And I think they've, like I said, been uninspiring. And there's a few mentalities that, that need shifting in that group where when you win as much as they do, things become a bit stale. And I, I, I find it really difficult to believe that they're going to be able to retain a title for a, for a 10th season in a row next season. And you know what's going to be inspiring if they actually win this year's Champions League? They're playing this Friday, uh, second leg against Lyon, starting from a, a one-to-zero aggregate for uh, for the French team. Um, yeah, sorry if he manages to bring the big ears cup back to Turin. He will be a legend at his first year with a double. That will be magnificent. I agree. Uh, sorry, ball has not. Uh, you know, um, we've not seen the kind of sorry ball that um, uh, we saw at Napoli. But as we talked before, there uh, there needs to be uh, time given to to Sarri and to his to his players. Like Conte, he will certainly um, ask uh, Agnelli for specific players. Um, and uh, Chris, what do you what do you think about this Juventus team? Will will they make it further in Champions League? It's going to be a a, a different Champions League because after this the second leg, it's, it's going to be knockout. So luck is going to be uh, a big part of it. You know, episodes. What do you think about it? Well, I think I think you brought up the right four letter word in describing Juventus: luck. Right. I mean, in terms of. They, they won. You look at the, the goal differentials, they won at the right time. Um, you know, I do think that Ronaldo and having the best keeper in the league, um, it, it's, those are real difference makers. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Um, you know, I do think that doing anything for a decade uh, is amazing. Consistency is so hard to do. Um, and, and that's kind of what they've been able to do. They did have seven losses, which uh, would put them in fourth place uh, if you look at who, who did the, the losing, but they did a, a pretty tidy job of minimizing those draws. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that Juve is going to go deep in Champions League. I think 538's got them as the four, fourth or fifth um, highest um, probability. So there, there are a lot of teams in front of them on this. Um you know, if Saudi wins, uh, then that just shows you uh, it's better to be luckier than right because um, th- th- we th- we haven't seen any Saudi ball. I mean, it, it, and, and sometimes when you have that sort of talent, you kind of stay out of the way of that talent, right? I mean, I, I like Pep's view, which is, oh, you want a great team? That's easy. Just get great players. Right? That's all. That's all. That's the. That's far and away the number one thing, right? Great coaching and great tactics come comes you know second and third to that so i i just feel that um uh it's been a remarkable achievement um i think people are getting kind of tired of uve winning all the time and i do think that there's going to be some great fights brewing i don't think that's going to be brewing in champions league steve do you have a different view no not really i think the last game they played against roma without ronaldo who was on the beach i think with his family uh, is a look into the future and what it what it could be like without without him in the side. You know, he's obviously made a lot of noise about how long he's going to play for, which is which is completely fair. But how long he stays at Juventus, I think, is is the conversation that people need to have. You know, his his drive to go and achieve as much as he can in the game around the different leagues. Don't be surprised if it, it, it's not a long stay, a long term stay for him there. Um, and being able to replace his goals is is just not not feasible um and this sometimes the sum of the team is is greater than the parts but in this case it's the other way around i think that he's saving them at the moment uh from kind of obscurity lower down you know you said chris that they've lost seven games this year they've lost four in the lockdown or, or sorry post lockdown um you know they, they picked up 23 points in in the post lockdown games you know that 
that puts them on par with with a Roma, for example. Roma Roma picked up more points in in that window than they did, um, and I think they've they've got some some areas they they have to they have to build into. I think bringing or losing Pjanic is you know it's got its financial ramifications for the club, but whether it's a good thing for for the team, I think we're going to find out quickly. Obviously, he's not getting any younger, but he's still an integral part of the way they want to play and. I think Tom mentioned last week how they they're becoming an aging side, and they need to kind of bring in a few younger younger faces to to help regenerate that that group. And certainly in the back line, you know, Chiellini's missed a lot of the season, for example, uh, out injured, um, you know, and that's that's been a big a big factor. But he's not getting any younger, um, and that they have to improve in, in those areas for sure in, in front of Chesney and and. Um, yeah, they they have to do a little bit to to change my mind about them finishing lower down next season. Let let me jump in on that counterpoint, and then Danielle, I'll uh, love to hear your thoughts. The counterpoint is that Juve, um, they have a much better record against the top four than the other teams do. They have been able to win against their rivals, and they're also able to unpick the locks of the lower league teams that park the bus. And the way you do that, I think is you have a ginormous payroll, you know, 300 million euros. You look at what Man City does. It's, it's very challenging. I think to have a team or the personnel to be able to unpick the lower league stuff, plus be able to beat your rivals pretty consistently. And, and let's take the last two losses out. Um, of because it's it's the end of the season they've already wrapped it up maybe the counter narrative is you know something they probably could have gone out and and won those two games and cut and finished a, uh, a, a resounding seven points or eight points above any of their competitors so are they really that f- the aging squad thing is is okay but are they good for another year or so Daniele what's your take I think they are Chris, they have built with uh, that management, you know, Agnelli, Nedved, those are really smart people. They have built um, a very good foundation and uh, the way they do things at Juventus, uh, for instance, they were uh, the first team that built uh, their own stadium that helping them a lot financially, but um, they're very smart. So even though it's true that players are aging, they're going to be able to uh, intervene on the, on the market and uh, replace them with, uh, with likewise very good players. Steve talked about how Pjanic will be gone. I think that um, there has been uh, a process of letting Bentancur growing in that position. And I think that now he's, he's ready to take over. He's not quite the same players in, the, in terms of how he um, you know, picks the ball and looks for a uh, he doesn't have, I would say, the same magnificent passes as Pjanic, but he um, he's ready, I think, to take over. And uh, like you said, in the back, why why did they spend so much money on the league last year? Because they want to make him the the next Kellini, and uh, uh, they partner him up with uh, with Bonucci, who's who has taught him a lot of things, I'm sure, as well as uh, Buffon still being in the locker room helped with uh, uh, teaching him uh, about proper defending. Uh, they have Demiral, who was out for uh, an ACL injury and uh, will be back. Uh, actually, has been back in the past games and will be, uh, I'm sure, a central part for, for this Juventus team. Um, so I, I think they're still going to be dominant next year and uh, they're going to bring in Kuluzeski, uh, Kuluzeski uh, the, Parma, the Parma winger, who is very talented. And I will say another one or two players uh, will join Juventus, like big names from the market. Do, do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I think they have to. I think there's no doubt they have to do that. Um, you know, I take your point about about them them uh, blooding players into into the side, but I also I also think that in in moments like this, teams reveal themselves. And uh, Liverpool, a uh, good example. You know, 30 years to win a league title, they get beat the game after they they've secured the title. Juventus get beat twice after securing the title but they've still got Champions League football to play. And I'm afraid that uh, as a team of champions and, and the standards that they, they should expect, there's no way they get beat in those last two games. If people are saying they don't matter, it, that it doesn't really matter if we lose those games, I think, I think that's fundamentally incorrect. 
They're a team of champions. They expect to win. They've got beat twice in a row. They've lost seven games as a, as a, as a champion team. So you have to go all the way down. Lazio, for example, lost eight games, but they lost five of them during uh, post-lockdown. You know, I think they've got some they've got some issues that are being papered over by by certain individuals individuals in their side that are helping them massively. And like Danielle said, they they've got really good people on their board and and they're in their management group that are that are shrewd enough to change and invest. But they're not winning games. The players have got to win the games, and they need to they need to bring two or three players in that are going to help regenerate that group again before they can kick on to the next level because the play, the teams behind them are improving and they can win a league in an average season without a doubt. But can they win a league when there's four or five teams challenging? That's up for debate. Well, Steve, I got, I love you like a brother, but uh, you look at what happened to Chelsea this weekend, losing Pulisic uh, and they're going to play against Bayern. It's like, forget about it, right? I, I, I would have Ronaldo two massages a day, you know, uh, ha- having, uh, having pedicures, manicures, whatever it takes to keep him healthy because at the end of the day, their greatness will not be by winning the domestic league. It will be by the Champions League at this point. 100%. And, and you've got you've to protect your players. And if they're going to be against teams that are coming after you, my vote is is to protect the players and realizing that them taking a having four or five light days before what could end up being a pretty challenging uh, Champions League schedule if everything goes right, especially af- on top of eight weeks of of two games a week. I would I would just try to protect them as much as I can, realizing that even though I've got the biggest budget in Serie A, I'm still half the budget of what the EPL teams are. Right, I just don't have the depth that everybody else has. Well, Juventus has some big players who have never won the Champions League, like Buffon, Bonucci, Chiellini. Um, let's see if there will be enough to motivate the Bianconeri locker room in uh, in Lisbon, you know, to get to the final of the Champions League. Guys, I think that we'll we'll wrap the show up. Uh, thank you, Steve, and thank you, Chris, for uh, uh, for our discussion, and thank you, guys, for uh, this past weeks of. Uh, match analysis, match previews. It was, uh, it was a fantastic time. Uh, Serie A will kick off again with the 2020-2021 season on September 19th. We will be back soon, but for now, enjoy the transfer rumors. Ciao.